Hey, this is Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dreamtime. I think this is episode 25. Could be wrong. This is an important episode. Uh, It's sort of based on something that I experienced in the last 24 hours and also a dream I had last night. Um, And I think it's really, really maybe one of the more important uh, episodes I'm going to make. And the title of the episode is going to be Suicide Soul Psilocybin and Antidepressants. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, And it's based on this experience I've had in the past week or so in that about eight or nine days ago, I met somebody at lunch. And it was a social lunch. And... They were really sort of entertaining and fun and smart and interested in the work I was doing. And I was interested in them. And at the end of the lunch, I just thought like, oh, maybe I'll work with him. Maybe I won't, but I'm not going to be pushy about it. And then yesterday, uh, it was on the news that this person had jumped off a uh, apartment building in Los Angeles. Really, really... Uh, person with a lot of resources whose choice was to end their life jumping off an apartment building. Um, and I have really strong feelings about people committing suicide and it was a suicide that, um, made me move into the work I'm doing now because I think I talked about this on other podcasts. Um, somebody, who had been in Los Angeles for a long time, went on tour. It was Chris Cornell. And he was given antidepressants. And then he hung himself while he was on tour. Um, And I really felt at the time that it was unfortunate that people with all the resources available to them that they could want choose things that are kind of conventional and often don't work. And in the case of Chris Cornell and also in the case of this person yesterday, I know that antidepressants were involved. And so I think that I'm going to talk about that at the end, but first I'm going to talk about, uh, the notion of suicide and, you know, suicide is something that happens everywhere in the world, um, and has, uh, as long as there has been people. Now, my understanding of suicidality, and there's a wonderful book that's actually called Suicide in the Soul, uh, written by James Hillman, who was uh, a protege of Jung's. He was a neo-Jungian. He was the last person who ran the Jung Institute while Jung was alive. And then he went off and did some really interesting things with his work after that. Mm. Anyway, the whole premise of his book, Suicide and the Soul, which is, it's pretty academic. I don't know if people are going to enjoy reading it. So I'm going to tell you what it was about and tell you how it applies to modern life. Um, His whole premise was that, and I work with this premise as well with my psychedelic work, is that your ego is a state. It isn't ultimately you. It doesn't ultimately have any real um, 
purpose other than to interface between you and the world and for you to be able to experience yourself in a way that you're comfortable in relationship to the environments that you find yourself in, the challenges. And oftentimes, everybody, one's egos formed in trauma and neglect and lack of empathy. And it's designed like a callus to keep you from being hurt, to keep the deeper regions of you be, from being hurt by your environment, my environment, my ego. Um, and so oftentimes what people find is that their ego is maladaptive, that it doesn't actually connect with the depths of their soul. It's more concerned with their external world and it's more connected to its outside world and not connected enough to the kind of primordial depths from which it springs and it loses its vitality because it's from those springs that vitality is given and if you are connected to your depths to the primordial images and emotions and insights that are available to you then your ego is going to have a certain amount of vitality because it's going to get nutritive energy from this connection that it has to a part of you that's not historical or biographical or from this life that actually preceded this life and it'll you'll stay in touch with it um, at the end of this life. And that's just, you know, I'm not going to get into the philosophy of that. But if you form an ego that is a response to trauma or neglect or, like I said, lack of empathy, and we all have that to some degree, neglect, trauma, lack of empathy. And if you orient your consciousness just towards contemplating and dealing with that outside challenge and you lose touch with your depths, with your origins that precede your experience, your ego is going to lose vitality. It's not going to feel good just dealing with its traumas, dealing with its fears, trying to keep things from happening that have happened before that were painful. And depression it's like you're not pressing against your environment anymore. You don't have any energy to press against your environment. That's what depression is. You're depressing. We're all pressing our egos out, trying to deal with people, trying to make things happen for ourselves. Sometimes that we think we deserve. Sometimes we're hoping to overplay our or play above our, our head and get more than we want. And that's what the ego deals with. It's out in the world pressing. And if it loses contact with its origins, it loses vitality and people will get depressed. Now, we live in a very extroverted culture and we live in a culture that is a secular materialist, which means it's all out there. There is no inside. There is no value of your dreams or your pathology or your emotions. It's not what we talk about. You know, you, you look at Trump who's the king of this, and all he talks about is the economy, he can't anymore, the stock market, performance. And there is no value on the internal origins, on something that is bigger than the accomplishments of your life. So people will depress. And you know you see how enormous depression is in the culture, and it's because it doesn't turn people towards their origins. It doesn't say, 
take your nutrition from inside you. You've got a fountain of nutritive possibility and people just run around outside themselves and, and they find that actually there's nothing there, that it's such a thin part of your consciousness to function in the world and it's important and it's uh, a navigational tool but it's not everything. That's why depression is so rampant in our culture. Now, people can take that symptomology of their depression and see like, okay, so how have I lost touch with my origins? How do I reconnect with my origins? Do I do it by working with my dreams? Do I do it by drawing? Do I do it by writing? Do I start, do I spend less time running around outside myself trying to manipulate my environment and more time connecting with myself and then just having the outside world be the outside world and not be everything. Well, in our culture, the outside world's everything. And that is why depression is such a big part of our culture. Now, in the two instances I'm talking about, we're talking about depression. The two instances I talk about that are synchronistic, that talking about today that's a depression that is fatal and there is often in those people in their literal desire desire to kill themselves a loss of the symbolic because what the instinct is the suicidal instinct it's something that occurs in the psyche it basically is saying this state you're in, this ego state you're in, it's not working. Let's kill it. Right? And what that means, it doesn't mean you have to kill yourself. The ego is a, it's, it's a, it's a form of consciousness that we create, you know, and it's, it can change all the time. It can, you can look at your ego and see like, hmm, where'd this come from? And is it working? And wait, I had this dream last night that was about somebody who wasn't a lot like me. But by going, oh, that is me. I'm going to come become more like that. The ego starts to change. It starts to acknowledge that it doesn't have total autonomy on your consciousness and that there's other aspects of your consciousness that are trying to be known to you. And if you let them into your egoic awareness, if you let those, if you, if you recognize the ego as just one complex among many, it can really change if it takes on these other aspects of oneself that are mostly unconscious and mostly function outside of the ego's awareness. And it can change so much that one's ego can be replaced by another egoic state. Jung thought that that was a goal in, in development, that like your problems didn't get solved by figuring out what your problems were. Your problems got solved by replacing your ego with a higher functioning ego that has more totality in it, that has connection to more parts of you that the last one didn't, didn't have as much information. And that's health. Right. And so when we're when people have that instinct, I think it's an amazing instinct, that suicidal impulse, which people have in a variety of different ways, riding motorcycles, speeding in cars, 
using drugs in a in a in a irresponsible way, having multiple sexual partners and unsafe sex. Those are all suicidal impulses, right? But you have to look at the deeper aspect of human beings. They're saying, "I don't want to be this anymore," but our consciousness functions symbolically. Our dream life is symbolic, which is really what our consciousness is like. You don't get a you don't get a a monologue about a dream. Like you don't go to sleep and go like you need to work on this. You get a symbolic representation of things that are emerging in your consciousness of which you are presently unfamiliar. And a suicidal impulse is the same thing. It's some part of you, maybe it's the self, maybe it's the part that's eternal that goes, you know what? We've got to cut off the spigot. We gotta cut off the the electricity and the water to this this apartment, because this apartment sucks. Now, the huge mistake that thousands of people make every year is they literalize that impulse. They go, oh, I'm going to throw myself off a building or I'm going to crash my car or I'm going to overdose on drugs or I'm going to, you know, however people or I'm going to shoot myself. And they don't solve the problem that life presents them with. And life is a transformative environment. That's the opportunity that life offers. It gives you the opportunity to become something else other than what you are through your awareness of what you are and the emergence of parts of yourself that you're not familiar with. So when people are suicidal, it is a time to work with them. It's a time to acknowledge that things haven't worked and they haven't been working for a long time and that there needs to be a new order in their life and in their consciousness. And if you just go, oh, you know what? You feel suicidal? Take some pills. You know, that is not, that's going to help some people and some people it's going to kill. And so the thing I want to say is, I'm not, you know, I've, I've worked with people getting them off antidepressants because they don't want to be on depressants anymore. Half the time, antidepressants don't work. Half the time uh, they work and half and uh, half the time they work, they create other problems that didn't exist before them. These are chemicals that are created by big pharmaceutical companies to get people to take them every day because that's where the profit is in making somebody feel that they're, they can't function without these drugs. Now, the first big antidepressant was Prozac and it had the name Pro in it because they wanted to make professionals feel like they were going to be at some advantage by using it. Absolutely true story. There's now Lexapro, which is another pro thing. These drugs, they mask people's symptomology. If someone's feeling depressed, they make it so they don't feel anything. They don't make people feel happy. They just take people away from their suffering. And your suffering is the road home. If you look at the source of your suffering, you're going to find some unmet, unexperienced, unencouraged part of yourself that needs to emerge. And Taking antidepressants stops this process. It stops this human, mythical uh, instinct to transform experience. It's terrible. You know, maybe they save some people in acute situations, but I'm so sick of people killing themselves 
for the profits of pharmaceutical companies. And so, so what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to do a bunch of, of, of good things for yourself to exercise, eat right, you know, meditate, do yoga. Meditation works better than antidepressants. It's a proven fact. Yoga works better than antidepressants. Exercise works better than antidepressants. You know, we are not broken machines. We are not broken machines that need to be fixed. We're not car. Our brains are not car engines that are low on oil. And that is the premise that antidepressants uses, that there are chemicals in your brain. It's just the chemical uptake and makeup of your brain. It's not working properly because it doesn't have the right chemicals in it. Well, that's bullshit because your, con- your brain follows your consciousness. So if you use your brain to do things that your consciousness isn't inspired by, it's going to make you feel depressed. Now, to get back to what my point is, is so how do psychedelics help people in these circumstances? Well, here's the first thing. It's a scientific fact that people who use use, uh, psychedelics have a lower suicidality in their psychological makeup than people who do not. And, you know, there's probably a lot of cofactors in that. But one of the things that psychedelics offers people is a capacity to have lateral thinking and to experience new parts of themselves that that were unknown to them before they took the psychedelic. Now, using it therapeutically, using psychedelics purposely and therapeutically, what they do is they disorganize the ego's grasp on consciousness. That's what happens. So this ego that's unsatisfying, that isn't connected to its depths, it gets pushed aside in a psychedelic experience and the depths make themselves known. Usually, you know, people are looking for that. But whether they're looking for it or whether they're not, that's what's going to happen. And so it's not about the chemistry of the psychedelic, whether it be psilocybin or LSD or DMT or 5-MeO-DMT. It's that human consciousness has this capacity and psychedelics catalyze that capacity. They put somebody in a state where their usual sort of, and if we're talking about a depressed person, their usual depressed dominant space gets opened up and, and is filled with the next level of the unconscious. And it instantly relativizes the position of the ego. It makes the ego realize that it's just one state of many and that it has information that there, there's information in the depths of your unconscious that no, nothing out in the world could ever teach you about. Or, and so what a psychedelic experience does is it disorients the ego. It shuts it down. It literally shuts down the part of your brain that organizes your ego and it allows these other aspects of you to come in. And they get welcome to the party. And the thing about using psychedelics is that once these parts of you are invited in, they don't leave because you remember them and you can bring them in at other times. You can bring in the symbolic meaning of the experience you have using psychedelics at another time. And that is nutritive. That helps somebody. And so... That will change somebody's consciousness more than antidepressants will, 
new experiences, new experiences of consciousness, new experiences of selfhood, new experiences that exist outside the state that cause somebody to be depressed in the first place. So, you know, this was a wide ranging talk and I want to make sure that I, I said everything I wanted to say. I think I have. I think I've talked about depression, uh, suicidality, um, and uh, psychedelics and antidepressants. And I think that um, if people have more curiosity about this, on my website, goingquantum.org, uh, there's a essay called Suicide in the Soul on goingquantum.org. And there's a lot of information. Everything that I've talked about today is is online somewhere. You could find it if you were interested in it. If you were, if you were interested in, the, or it's in a book, you know, especially that suicide in the soul book, but also the the truth about antidepressants and what they actually do and don't do for people. And then the success that psychedelics have had. Psilocybin, I'm going to sign off with this thought has been just noted by the FDA to be a breakthrough treatment for treatment-resistant depression. That the amount of success that people have had with using psilocybin to treat people who their depression responds to nothing else is extraordinarily high. And it's on its way to being uh, legalized probably in four or five years. And in the words of a mentor of mine, Ralph Metzner, uh, who was one of the psychedelic pioneers with Leary and Ramdas at Harvard, um, at Harvard, using LSD and psilocybin. Who cares what the FDA is doing? He didn't say who cares. He said who effing cares. Uh, the planet's dying, and the same goes for depressed people. Depressed people don't have years to wait for these therapies. You know, depressed people don't probably have access to trials. Suicidal people need to know that these treatments are available and they need to be able to find them. And um, this is a very important uh, podcast. I hope people have found information in it that they find useful. Um, this is Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dream Time, and you can find my website at www.goingquantum.org. Thanks so much. Bye.